3: The
4: Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie
5: This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Taoiseach is in County Louth today. Later, Leo Radker will be in Belfast. He'll be hoping to talk about Brexit, and he will. But the questions will centre around the border. Soldiers on both sides of the border in April, perhaps. But why, this morning, two Northern Ireland fishing boats are being detained in Clara Head, and their owners are about to appear in court accused of illegally fishing in Irish waters. The Taoiseach will also be asked why the boats were impounded by an Irish Navy warship with 76mm guns on board in Dundalk Bay on Wednesday. Some very serious questions and some embarrassment, it would seem, for the Irish government. Let's talk about this with Fine M.E.P. Mairead McGuinness, who's come into us this morning. Good morning to you. And Good morning, Thank Michael. you for joining us. I'm sure you'll agree this is an embarrassing situation given the timing uh, and how close we are to the Brexit date.
6: First of all, I wouldn't use the word embarrassing. It's a serious situation It has got to be dealt with and we've got to be very level-headed about it. When you heard the news break mm. um, I think a lot of people said, saying, gosh, what has happened here? But remember that our Navy um, protects our waters and that last year there were seven Vessels impounded uh, uh, on the law because of where they were fishing and what they were fishing. In this case, it's 2019 and we now have uh, these two vessels. Um, And as you know, when you delve into Mm. the history of this, it's because there was a gentleman's agreement or is a gentleman's agreement. There was a Supreme Court challenge in Ireland and the court said it is a very sensible agreement, but you need to underpin it with legislation, which is on the statute books, but isn't passed through the Oireachtas. Mm. And I suppose that will perhaps be where the question. Questions need to be asked.
5: Talk about war boats with 76mm guns on board is very colourful language, and of course, I was quoting Nigel Dodds, uh, he used that phraseology, but if you take that at face value, it almost sounds like an act of aggression, doesn't it?
6: No, I disagree, and we want to be extremely careful, and I can understand why those words are. I mean, they're challenging Mm. because it's a very serious issue. But remember that we protect our waters, as do other countries, using our Navy service. So I think to exaggerate this and use warlike language is not helpful. Clearly, there is an issue that has to be resolved by the Oroctus. I hope, and I will be finding out more uh, during the day, that this legislation can be passed in order to avoid a similar situation arising in the future. And also to give, um, if you like, answers to those, like the DUP who are raising this um, almost to a political issue and I think that that is not the case in a sense if you pull away from the timing and the emotion behind it, um, you know our sea protection vessels are there for a reason um, what they do is underpinned by law and that they are obliged to act uh, on the legislation that's in place the difficulty is that we know the legislation needs to be changed and that is where the priority needs to be, I listened to Michael Creed this morning earlier mm. talking about this issue. It's not as if it has been ignored. Um, It is being worked on. But the timing, of course, and the Taoiseach will be in Northern Ireland this afternoon. In a way, we can either escalate this or we can Sorted out, and I suppose, given our shared territory and shared waters, we have to resolve this. We well, have that's to- an interesting
5: turn of phrase, mm. shared waters, mm. because uh, I think uh, they're seen as territorial waters, mm. and there's a, a zero to six mile that's area right. which the minister said this morning is sovereign ground if you like or sovereign waters, so that is very much uh, in uh, the realm of the Irish Republic and uh, the DUP are making an issue of this uh, but the most vocal critic it would seem is the independent councillor Henry Riley in Kilkeel who mm-hmm. we'll be speaking to we'll mm-hmm. also speak to the DUP about mm-hmm. it a, a little bit later on uh, but he's saying they're disputed waters
6: well look I mean you're going to hear a lot of emotion around this I'm trying to deal with it um, factually about what needs to be done as you know Irish um, Uh, fishing vessels can go into Northern Ireland waters Mm. and fish and I suppose that's why we might hear this irritation about what has happened That's because of that gentleman's agreement. The gentleman's agreement um, which worked perfectly, there was a challenge Mm. and when the court rules, the legislators have to act. I did hear um, the minister this morning say that because of the minority government's uh, situation and there were some amendments and perhaps some difficult debates on this issue it has not gone through the House of the Arachus in perhaps the timeline that he believes is mm. necessary. Perhaps this is a wake-up call to our legislators because the in Supreme Noel Court Aaron ruled to work on it. in
5: 2016. Exactly, the legislation was brought forward, forward and yeah. it stalled in the Shannon exactly. in March of 2017. Exactly. I think.
6: And of course, mm. I, I didn't get a chance this morning to read those debates. Mm. I think it's important that we do read and understand why there is perhaps some opposition to this within the Shannon mm. and why the process of the legislation has not gone in the pace uh, that would have been desirable. I think um, I would be very careful about using this incident in the context of Brexit of mm. course it's, it's, it's a, the backdrop it is, is Brexit I, I and, mean, and I absolutely understand And that's the
5: question that. that's coming from unionists to the Irish government is this being driven by Brussels? Yeah
6: but it's not and I, I think that we should not fuel the suspicion of those situations. However I will say this and I, I remember after the referendum saying at a meeting in Brussels where we had representatives of the fishing industry across Europe that in my view one of the biggest areas where there will be a challenge for Europe and the United Kingdom to find agreement on Mm. is on the high seas and on the fishing issue. I think it is regrettable that this has happened now because it does, if you like, heighten tensions. It does allow um, some to use it, uh, if you like, in a way that it should not be used. Mm. Of course, nobody would like to see this happen. Um, When you look at the black and white of it, it looks quite extraordinary in terms of timing. On the other hand, when you look at the facts behind it, this is what our Navy has to do, they have to implement the law and I think again I'd stress It is heavy
5: handed though, I, well, I mean I, I know well, it well, was a colourful description but there no, are no, be these careful. weapons on these boats but,
6: but you know that there have been incidents mm. where illegal fishing, and I'm not referencing this particular mm-hmm. case and where the Navy have got to protect themselves and both the fish stocks and the fishing rights in mm. certain um, of our waters so mm. It's not heavy-handed. It's implementing the law. But it's not fair.
5: Sure, it's not. I mean, the obvious response, uh, because there's been many responses, but the obvious response uh, that I heard Mm. was, well, if we can't fish there, we're not going to let you fish here.
6: Of course, that is the reaction. And as I said, the the reciprocal arrangement worked perfectly well. Mm. The gentleman's arrangement worked The challenge came through the Supreme Court. The legislators have um, a draft text of a new law on the statute books. Um, I think for me, the question is, can we make sure this goes through the procedures or to look at why it was not, uh, if you like, put through in a shorter period of time? Um, I don't take from the fact that the timing is not helpful but I certainly wouldn't be adding fuel to the fire of suspicions. Of course, things no, are No, you're heightened. going to have to try and put it out, though. I mean, I mean
5: this is the problem. Well, I mean, and, and uh, we've, the, we've dealt the, with the fuel is going course. to come from the other side of the border. Yeah, and and we, we're the ones with very serious questions. Uh, it's very hard to justify what happened. I mean, I don't know if you saw uh, the pictures on television last night. Two little trawlers <laughs> murdered up in uh, head, yeah, and yeah, a guard yeah. car in parked beside uh, yeah. And And it looked like a scene from Father Ted it really did yeah. uh, 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 it looked so ridiculous mm-hmm. and then to think of a warship going out to impound them you know uh, and whether that's a ridiculous thing to say or not that's what people are thinking and saying
6: well some people are reading more into it than perhaps is wise and I suppose from my point of view I've dealt with many difficult issues around Brexit and I think that we are minded to keep our feet firmly on the ground and try and understand where we're at in this process and not allow issues like this which of course taint the atmosphere Mm. uh, to become the central issue or indeed to allow it be used um, that the Irish government is not acting in good faith I think that is really important Um, I spoke at a Brexit conference yesterday in NUIG which was talking about British Irish relationships in the context of Brexit. And I think we have to be mindful mm. of there is a strain and we have to manage our relationships um, in a way that allows us to get over these difficult negotiations, this particular incident and others that may mm. emerge. I was struck by when you opened your programme and you said March the 1st mm. and we are now um, 28 days towards month, um, yes. so mm. I suppose mm. um, you are going to find heightened tensions because the British Prime Minister mm. will not hold the vote until March March the 12th um, I hope in that time mm. we can get and this a day next month, as I was saying,
5: we could have soldiers on both sides of well, the border. You know, I mean, it's Michael, feasibly possible.
6: Well, Michael, I know you and I have had conversations mm. about that, and it's your job to speculate. It's my job to try and rein that back in to mm. where I believe things. No, oh, I don't and think it'll don't it will happen. Don't get, it get me wrong,
5: but you yeah, know, but, it is but, feasibly possible. But I think possible, you are right in so far game as game of I, chicken, if you like. Yeah,
6: I spoke mm. to people yesterday from the UK who are just a little bit concerned about how the relationships are. So, and I did say very publicly. Look, we have to be mindful um, that even when it comes to Brexit and those who voted to leave, we have to have respect for their view, Mm -hmm. even though we might take a very different one. And we have to learn as good neighbours to repair any, you know, little cracks in the relationships. Mm. But but remember, this happens all the time between countries in the European Parliament. And I suppose it, it, it reminds me of the reality of the European Union allows us, in a common space to sort out these problems. My real concern even on this story is that in future when the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, they're not part of that conversation, both the informal and the formal. Mm. And I think that's something that, you know, the Irish government is conscious of. We're going to have to strengthen our links with our UK neighbours and friends because we will still have to have very strong relationships. We want to have those. And certainly, when you paint the picture of that scene in mm. Clare Her Head, um, you know, it, it doesn't look well, no, no, but when you no. heard the minister explain the background to it, um, sometimes people say when when you're explaining, mm. you know, you're losing. Mm-hmm. But I still think there is an onus on us to pull back from any inflammatory language. Yeah, but, there's a, another but to understand where to p- people are coming from that sure. use that mm-hmm. language.
5: There's a, a, another scene, uh, which is a very big part of uh, this ongoing story, which mm-hmm. is just a, a couple of miles away from where we're sitting. And we're not really allowed to say anything that might influence what happens in the courthouse in Dropbox. Mm. But uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be looking at what happens there today and the impact it has on these boats being impounded and how that might impact on relations north-south.
6: But again, come back to the rule of law. And it's the one thing we have to be careful of. Political interference mm. is out um, when I, it comes to the rule of law, even where we know that this law yes. needs changing, mm. uh, and be very aware of that. That when uh, the separation is is there for good mm. reason, and that's why I didn't ask so you to comment. Law, and I certainly would not, n- and I wouldn't um, ask and to you. Some, but to but, some extent, the fact that the Taoiseach is in Louth today is that, helpful yeah, in a the, sense. That but that means we're all helpless now. No, I mean, no, there's a no.
5: diplomatic incident.
6: No, 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 mm. no. It's not diplomatic. Be very careful not to escalate this. And of course, when I read the the newspapers, there is that sense of quite quite a drama. And we're not helpless. Uh, we have an Oireachtas. Mm. There is a need to get this legislation, to deal with whatever problems are there. There's also a need for us, it, quietly not mm. on the airways, to talk to those who are raising concerns, to listen very carefully and to answer to those concerns. And I know you're speaking to others that mm. might have a different perspective on this. Um, I mean I could, you know, I use that analogy add fuel to the fire and all we get us heat and no light. You, you really have to be conscious that in these very tense times that words and deeds do have an impact and I and you're right mm. in saying that. Um, but we either manage them and deal with the situation we are faced with or we allow it to escalate to a point where it does become uh, a, a very unsavory diplomatic incident. And in my view, we have to deal with this. Mm. I thought Minister Creed was very strong earlier in his comments and I think that there will be a lot of work being done so that from a, a country-to-country perspective, that there is an understanding mm. of why and perhaps some indication of how we're going to resolve this. And clearly for those mm. um, fishermen on those yeah. vessels. Um, I mean, there was a reference on one new, uh, news uh, channel this morning about the religion of the two um, vessel yeah. operators, which I, I, I queried... One Catholic, I, one Protestant, yeah. to myself, mm. yeah. you know... Um, it was an interesting thing yeah. that we're going back to those divides. Yeah. I don't think that's mm. necessary. There are they're, they're people out doing their job. They didn't know that this particular mm. lacuna in the law would see them arrested, if okay. you like, and then appear in court. And when we so speak to unionist politicians
5: traumatic. in a, a moment, uh, we probably will hear that this is being driven by Brussels. But they have to be wrong because I don't think Brussels could be that stupid because this would be a case of shooting yourself in the foot because this will be fuel for... The arguments in favour of Brexit, in favour of a, a no deal, in mm. favour of a hard border, uh, because yeah. we're at a stage where it's been taken off the table, at least for the 29th mm. of March. Mm. And now we have this uh, and it'll but, feed but into
6: be very careful. all of those Be very careful. This is arguments. about the Irish Supreme Court mm. and our legislation. That's not Brussels' business. It's our Sometimes it doesn't matter, though, does it? Well, it does if you don't deal with the question. And I hope yeah. when I, my answer mm. to you deals with the question. Of course, mm. and we will hear that there will be others who will say it is, because some people do like conspiracy theories mm. and timing certainly isn't, particularly helpful um, from my point of view and the point of view of the government we are minded to deal with the realities of the situation as I said it's been um, uh, I had an early morning and a late night because of um, a puncture on the way home from Galway but we survived that so I haven't read the, the dull debates or the Istana debates on this legislation and I will be doing that and I think that will give me a better understanding of why um, the government did not get this legislation through I suppose there is this bigger question of minority governments and the mm. difficulty in legislating in a way that a government that is not in that position can do it's a question for mm. us that uh, the Fine Gael party and indeed uh, those of us who are in government um, and i suppose it is a wake up call yeah. that if there is vital legislation that might lead to something like this happening well that's it we're seeing it this morning that it was
5: vital something yeah. complicated it yeah. something has led to it being delayed we don't know what that indeed. is but uh, it will dominate business today. Meanwhile, the Taoiseach uh, will be answering questions undoubtedly uh, about this in Drogheda and in yeah. Belfast. Uh, yeah. But there's a lot more to do in Drogheda today as well, I take Yes, it. he's yeah. got
6: quite a busy day. Mm-hmm. I think he's mm-hmm. starting in, in school in, in Julianstown and then he will be coming in to, to Drogheda to talk to Anghartha Khan And there's been some very tragic incidents around this uh, town of Drogheda. A lot of families. Um, Deputy Fergus O'Dowd, um, You know, we had a parliamentary party this week and I, I was very impressed with his presentation on behalf of the people he represents here um, and his passion to make sure that we do something about those uh, around the issues that lead to these terrible crimes uh, and you know attacks on people's mm. lives. So there are many challenging issues for us. And I suppose that's why those of us who have responsibility have to deal with them as calmly as we can, notwithstanding that there are moments, even in my job, where it almost looks impossible to see a way forward. But we're voted in by people to make sure we find that path forward. And also, it's very important that we don't allow um, interpretations of events to be the wrong ones and to allow them dominate um, people's feelings and uh, storylines. We have to act swiftly and clearly to point out the realities of the situation. Okay,
5: and criticisms for not doing that. I, I think this week, uh, undoubtedly, the Taoiseach will field questions in, in relation Indeed. to uh, the under-policing. Yes, and as of I said, Kennedy. I think yeah. it's
7: mm. perhaps
6: opportune mm. that he's mm. in um, County Laos today and will deal with all of these uh, mm. issues. Um, while I'm sure we would rather not be dealing with this yep. very complicated one, on the other hand as Taoiseach, he is, you know, he's a strong leader and he is well able to deal with these things. And I'm sure when he goes goes to Northern Ireland, he will work very hard to impart Uh, The reasoning, if there is, uh, we can impart that logic and also an understanding of what's happening in in the Oroctus on this
5: issue. I have to leave it there, but thank you indeed for coming into us this morning. Good morning to you. That's Finnegale MEP Mairead McGuinness. Michael
8: Michael Reed on on LMFM.
5: Now, Independent Councillor Henry Riley, who represents people in Kilkeel uh, where these boats emanated from, should join us in a moment. DUP MLA for South Down, Jim Wells is on the line. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. We've been hearing the background uh, and to why there is uh, this anomaly in the law since 2016 and how that needs to be shored up. Uh, But we also heard that this is not the first incident of its type and uh, some seven vessels were seized by the Irish Navy in 2018 and two of them were UK registered. Uh, Do you believe this is par for the course?
1: Uh, is this uh, yourself, Michael, or Henry?
5: Oh, I'm sorry, Henry isn't on the line. I'm sorry, Jim Wells, yes, for okay. yourself. Yes, yes. We're just okay. waiting for Henry uh, Riley to join us, okay. so I beg your pardon, yes.
1: Well, I mean, let me say, I think the, the Irish authorities have behaved in a very high-handed manner here. Uh, everyone's aware of the, the complex issue involved oh. uh, in boats from both Northern Ireland and the Republic fishing up to six miles uh, from land. Uh, and, and frankly, there was no need for arrests. Uh, they could have had a friendly word with the fishermen, uh, they could have pointed out the grey area and, and given them the option of either continuing to fish or, or, or to, to leave the area but there's absolutely no need to, to, to pound boats and bring them back and take them
5: to court Perhaps so but it's not the first time and apologies again for the confusing uh, introduction uh, there but uh, the point I was putting to you is that this happened on seven occasions in 2018 you where did. boats were impounded, uh, and uh, arrests were made, uh, and two of the boats that year were UK registered. So this uh, isn't the first time this happened.
1: Yes, but the point the point is there's no need for any of this. I accept that there have been previous uh, boats have been impounded, but the point is there was a, an agreement from the mid-1960s that enabled Northern Ireland fishermen to fish in Irish waters, and Irish fishermen to fish in Northern Ireland waters. Mm. Now, the Irish fishermen uh, took that to court, and the result was that the courts ruled that it was only a gentleman's agreement, it was, wasn't legally binding. But the point is that still did not force the Irish authorities to arrest anybody. Mm. They could simply have said, right, it's an informal agreement and we'll recognise it. Meanwhile, of course, the boats from County Louth uh, on the east coast of Ireland and quite happily fish away in County Down. Mm. That seems to me to be grossly unfair.
5: As so things it, stand but there is a threat that that will end because of that convention, uh, the London Fisheries Convention uh, with uh, uh, that, that uh, has been in place since 1964 the Voisinage, I think it's called. Uh, Michael Gove said that uh, Britain might withdraw from that convention.
1: Y- yes there is obviously Britain If the Irish authorities are going to continue to treat our fishermen in this way, eventually their patience will be lost. But it does strike me interesting, Michael, that the Irish Republic is keen for Irish unity, but not when it doesn't suit them. In other words, they're perfectly happy to have uh, any form of agreement when th- they benefit. But when it causes them the slightest bit of inconvenience, then they become a, a 26 a little 26-county republic and make absolutely certain that anything that would, uh, impinge upon their interests is immediately blocked. Now, the, 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 the problem here is that what the Irish authorities should simply do is accept it, yet that the, the agreement is a gentleman's agreement and allow it to continue. But because they're under pressure from their own fishermen they've decided to take this high handed approach against two uh, trawlers from Kilgale who are simply trying to earn a living and at, at the level that they're fishing where well, they represent no-fit stocks in, in County Lowes or County Weave. So therefore you know, a bit of sense should prevail here but to simply go out and arrest trawlers is totally
5: unacceptable. Okay, we've made the connection with independent councillor Henry Riley. Good morning to you uh, in Uh, The next few hours, uh, the courthouse, uh, a stone's throw from here, will decide uh, the fate of uh, the owners of uh, the Amity and uh, the boy Joseph who were found to have been illegally fishing in Dundalk Bay. Do you believe that they were aware of the fact that what they were doing was illegal?
9: Um, Well, it's quite complicated. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, These were non-quota species, you know, crabs and whelks that type of thing. So they're they wouldn't be covered by any EU regulation. Mm. business between north and south and that should continue But
5: Would you accept that this is Irish territorial water that was encroached on that the men were acting uh, illegally uh, and that they knew that it was illegal to fish in those waters
9: Well, it's still an allegation at this stage we, I, don't, I don't know if um, it can be proven conclusively that they were fishing illegally or not uh, so we'll leave that to the uh, courts to decide
5: Okay, but you believe, you, you believe that since 2016 and uh, the Supreme Court ruling in the Republic that fishermen from the north have been fishing in that zero-to-six-mile zone?
9: Um, uh, yeah, yes, there's no doubt about that. If they're going to, um, you know, in the full knowledge that the Irish government has declared us British foreigners, then um, they have to accept that. But are we British foreigners? You know, that's, I think the Irish government has to come to terms with that. As Jim has pointed out, you know, we're told that uh, S- uh, Simon Coveney and Leo Badakar would die in a ditch, you know, to preserve the all-Ireland economy and stop hard borders. And then we have this massive gunboat coming up with a 76mm cannon, 8 20mm machine guns and telling uh, fishermen from across the border, you're British, you're foreign, you're not welcome. You know, it just seems to me that there's gross hypocrisy on the part of the Irish government. You know, it's created distrust. There's no question about or doubt about that.
5: But they were policing Irish law and the Irish administration says there is an anomaly in the law which it's being attempting to shore up, but given the political landscape in the Republic and uh, the difficulties that a minority government sometimes faces, uh, this has stalled in in its passage through Parliament.
9: Yes, and that's obviously very disappointing. You know, from my perspective as a, a unionist, it does indicate hypocrisy on the part of the Doyle and the uh, Taoiseach and the Tannister, that they can't um, put into practice what they preach. You know, it seems seems to me that they're very, very protectionist towards um, their own fishermen and their own farmers, which is good. Mm. That's what what a government's meant to do. But whenever they say that, you know, on one hand that we're part of an all-island economy and... uh, You know, they want to improve um, cross-border cooperation. And then they put up this really hard border in the Irish Sea and police it with massive gunboats. You know, it it stinks of hypothesis.
5: Okay, and when you talk about Irish Navy warships with 76mm guns on board impounding these little trawlers, is that colourful language, or, or do you view what happened to have been an act of aggression?
9: It does come across... As an act of aggression, there was no need for it. You know, even um, I'm told now that the Irish Navy does have wee ribs or dories that could have went out there and discussed this with them, give them an opportunity to leave if they thought they were inside uh, Irish waters. But they didn't choose to do that. They chose to send in this massive gunboat. It's a massive warship Mm. and um, really intimidate. And I don't think there was any need for that whatsoever. I think it's the Irish government probably at the behest of Brussels trying to put on put pressure on uh the uk and, and intimidate our fishing
5: there. let me finish by asking jim wells uh, the same question because nigel dodds used uh, the same type of wording to describe what happened uh, colorful language or was it in your view an act of aggression
1: Well, I have to say I agree with Henry in this because I think it was a gross overkill, particularly when the Irish government have announced that they want to introduce legislation to clarify the situation, that they see the the problem with the the, the, the High Court decision. Legislation is apparently on its way. Uh, So it's give us Irish unity and an all-Ireland economy, but only when it suits us. So, in other words, once the pressure put, put, is put on by the, the Irish fishing industry, all thoughts of a cross border economy is completely dropped. And there's an obvious hypocrisy here that two very small boats are being used as a political pawn in a much bigger debate. And I just think things have gone far too far. And I really do wish the, the fishermen all the best today because this is really they're entirely innocent in all of this.
5: All right, I have to leave there. Thank you both very much indeed for joining us this morning. Jim Wells is a DUP MLA in South Down. Henry Riley, an independent councillor on Newry Morn and Down District Council.
8: Michael Reed on
5: on LMFM. Now some 500 members of uh, the ambulance service are on picket lines uh, today for the second day of a 48-hour strike. It is, in fact, the third day of strike action being taken uh, by members of uh, the NASRA branch of the PNA, the Psychiatric Nurses Association. Sinead McGrath, National Chairperson of the PNA, NASRA branch, joins us now. Good morning to you, Sinead, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the program uh, this morning and uh, just reminder our listeners what's at the root of this dispute because it is unusual in that it centers around union recognition
10: Good morning and thank you for having me on. Um, yes it is an unusual dispute. Usually these things are about money and terms and conditions etc Ours in the first instance is about the fact that we are not being facilitated to join a union of our choice and um, A constitutional right of every member of the country is that if they wish to join a union, they're entitled to do so. Now, the HSE, in most cases, will engage with that union and will work towards um, solutions to any industrial disputes that they are or that there are. But this is not the case with ourselves. We uh, have five to six hundred members of ambulance service personnel, some of whom were previously with other unions, some of whom were non-unionised decided that we needed to join a different union. We wanted a union that was member-led. Um, myself, I had previously worked as a psychiatric nurse, so I were aware. I was aware of the CNA. I know that they are a member-led union, and they have been established for well over 40 years and have engaged with the HSE for the last 40 years, and um, very successfully in bringing both good terms and conditions for the nurses. Um, I know that's under dispute again at the moment, but over the years they have worked consistently with the HSE Um, and we wanted them to do the same with us Mm. and to help us improve the service to the public.
5: And and why is it that the HSE doesn't recognise the Psychiatric Nurses Association in this uh, part of uh, the people that it, it represents uh, because it represents many or it, it recognizes many trade unions uh, who represent right. a- ambulance personnel, cip 2 Unite, uh, and Forza, and indeed it recognizes the PNA uh, in terms of psychiatric nursing. Uh,
10: well, it's exactly as you say, they recognize many unions, and um, within psychiatric nursing, they will recognize the PNA, they will recognize mm-hmm. the NMO, they will recognize cip 2 but for some reason. They won't allow the PNA to represent us both. They will allow CIFTI to do it, they will allow the INMO to do it, they will allow FORSA unite, you know, many other unions. And their line on it is that they are afraid of um disrupting the already good relations that exist between the unions that are there already and themselves. Now, this is not an interunion dispute. I have absolutely no problems. I mean, as a, somebody who's always been a militant union um worker and a believer in the concept of union I believe that everybody should have the opportunity to join the union of their choice and be represented as such. So I have no problems with other unions being at the table. And I'm also a great believer, I think most of us are, that more heads are likely to come up with the right solution. If it's simply the one person talking all the time, you're only going to hear one perspective. We bring a different perspective. We bring the view of what's happening on the ground. A lot of the other unions are not representative of frontline workers. There are 1,800 members in the ambulance service, 1,300 of those work on the front line. We know what's happening on a day-to-day basis. We know the problems that are facing the public. We know the problems that we encounter in trying to deliver a high-quality service. So we want to be part of the discussion going forward to bring this, you know, to be a service that is fit for purpose. What we have seen, and again, I'm not laying this at the feet of other unions, but it is a known fact that in the most recent staff survey, which was carried out by a recognised organisation and instructed by the HSC to do so, that the ambulance service staff are the ones who consistently say they are bullied, they are discriminated against. The majority of staff are highly unhappy in the position that they are at the minute. Now, the previous survey that was done mm. in 2016, Reiterated that it's only got worse. So clearly, there's a problem with those who are at the table at the minute. Another head, another person at that table, but might just make a difference. You know, it's going to bring the views of those who are on the front line. Surely, that could only be good. I don't see how it could possibly make it worse.
5: Okay, perhaps you're right, uh, but the HSE is holding its position uh, and it's yeah. holding firm. And uh, I think there's been very little success in terms of your dispute because of how the HSE is holding firm. You've uh, taken three days of strike action. Thankfully, we don't have any adverse incidents to report on as a result of ambulances not being available. The HSE says that between 7 o'clock yesterday morning and noon, there was 229 calls, six of which were responded to by the Defence Force ambulance crews. uh, And the remainder... Uh, by paramedics uh, who would have been members of the other trade unions and managers uh, and so well, on.
2: That's, unfortunately, that's
10: not
5: strictly true. Okay. Um,
10: our members, start, to start with, this is our fourth day of strike action, and our members have been instructed very firmly from the very beginning that they are to respond to emergency calls. Mm-hmm. This is never, ever patient putting patients' lives at risk in jeopardy or in any sort of danger. That's not what this is about. So our primates are responding from the picket line. Sure. That really shouldn't have any impact whatsoever in the MIT ambulance, that the being in the spot. And I suppose it's very important that message mm. gets out. We do not want to harm any single member of the public. But in some way, we needed to get the message out. So our, for us, we feel that this bank has been very successful in gaining sort of media attention, mm. such mm. as yourself, that we can explain mm. what the problems are, why we're at the gate in the first place. And it's been useful in that the public didn't understand what this was about. Many people have stopped with us, asked us questions, even the fact that we um, had an audience in the door all the
5: other day. So oh, and I do understand that, and policymakers yeah. are hearing your message yeah. uh, and so on, yeah. but do you, do, do, do you intend to, to continue with the type of action that you're taking uh, whilst it's being ignored, or do you foresee uh, escalating your action?
10: Uh, we'll we'll- at the moment, our plans are that we'll be meeting again at the beginning of next week. We're going to regroup and decide which is best. Because, you know, as you said, um, the HSE are alleging that you know that there were six calls only that were um, attended to by other services. We don't want anybody to have to go to any other services. We don't want to an impact on the public, so we are going to look at other ways to further our dispute. But I think the point of the matter is that this is in the public interest. This is about making a better service. And it's also about very basically workers' rights. So to walk away from it at this point, I think, would be very negligent, negligent on our behalf. And it's not something we're prepared to do. We're speaking on behalf of 500 or 600 people. They're ultimately trying to provide the best service for the public possible. So, you know, we're going to continue to fight. We can't. We can't let this one go.
5: Okay, we have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, for joining us uh, this morning. Sinead McGrath, National Chairperson of uh, the PNA, Nasra Branch, uh, who are out on strike for uh, the second of three days of action. Michael,
8: Michael Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
5: Now, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good
11: morning, Michael. Lots of people in touch in relation to uh, the controversy surrounding the two boats that are currently at Clotterhead. Uh, Paddy from Drada says, Michael, I'm listening in and what do you expect to be on patrol uh, boats? Uh, Pea guns he's saying. He he, Paddy feels that you're being sensational that let the people responsible for these things do the job. You're putting ammunition into other people's mouths. Our ships have to protect our waters and you shouldn't be sens- sensationalising this. We have no control over it and he says you're blowing it all out of proportion.
5: All right, uh, well, we'll send that message on to Nigel Dodds uh, because when we were talking about Irish Navy warships with 76mm guns, uh, we were quoting the Deputy DUP leader directly Uh, a quote uh, which was reiterated this morning by the local independent councillor Inkel Keel, Henry Riley and indeed by uh, DUP MLA Jim Wells
11: Okay, for somebody who regularly interrupts guests, Michael is allowing Mairead McGuinness to totally avoid admitting that the government are wrong and allowing her use the interview to tell us what a wonderful leader Leo is, says the texter. Wrong about what? (laughs) <laughs> uh, you wouldn't see it in a comedy says Brenton, all the media outlets up in our head harbour mm. and the guardy watching over two little fishing boats one Catholic owned boat one Protestant owned boat all over a little fishing area says Brendan, mm-hmm. and he says perhaps you should call Captain's Bird's Eye to adjudicate on this.
5: Yeah, well, it, it did look uh, like a, a scene from Father Ted with the guard of car parked on the pier and the two little trawlers below, and to think of the warship impounding them and uh, the owners of uh, the trawlers uh, due in front of uh, the court in uh, Drogheda in the next short while as well.
11: I'm a fisherman that makes my living in Dundalk Bay. These men are coming down with a 1,000 crab pot, taking everything they can. Uh, We cannot cross Carlingford Lock because the Kilkeel fishing boats will come around us and we will be made to leave. Michael says, Jack from Cullen, Brexit is bad, yes, but this fishing thing could explode don't forget what uh, most of what we export goes through England. What if the English were to block our goods at port? We need to be very careful.
5: All right. Uh, well there's uh, some tough talking on both sides uh, there I think and that is possibly the biggest problem of all in relation to this story. Uh, it's the type of story that is as big a story as it is because of the timing of the event so close to Brexit uh, and a lot of exception taken to what happened in particular by unionists. Let's talk uh, about something completely different now, an an independent review of voluntary health organisations which was commissioned by the government and carried out by a former Secretary General of the European Commission, Catherine Day which has suggested that patients in hospitals should be able to seek the removal of crucifixes or other religious symbols if if, uh, they feel that they would prefer if they weren't there. Let's talk about this with Michael Nugent, who's uh, the chairperson of Atheist Ireland. Good morning to you, Michael, and thanks for joining us. Uh, would you share that view? Good morning. I say, would you share that view, Michael?
2: Oh, sorry. I, I think it is a perfectly reasonable report. It's saying that if the state is funding hospitals, which it does, that it's reasonable for the state to place reasonable conditions on that state funding, and one of those conditions can be that the hospitals have to treat everybody equally regarding their religious or non religious beliefs. It's not saying you should disrespect religious people, and it's religious people.
7: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
12: My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: We should have the, the same access to religious comfort as they currently have, in state-funded hospitals, but it's saying that non-religious people should have Mm. the same respect and should not have symbols uh, that are contrary to their conscience on the walls of the hospital and within the general ethos that they're being treated in. And to to use a reverse um, hypothesis, because I think the the difficulty is the status quo. Everybody's just used to it, so they don't understand what's wrong with it. If hypothetically, a religious person went into a state-funded hospital and there was a sign on the wall saying, there is no God, they would immediately realise that that's not appropriate and they'd be complaining about it before they reached the reception desk. Mm. And that's all that this report is saying, is that not not that, that hospitals should be promoting atheism, but that they should be neutral between religion and atheism.
5: Yeah, It's pretty wishy-washy, actually, isn't it? In that uh, not only... Uh, will the hospitals be uh, allowed to continue having uh, these symbols on walls, whether it's crucifixes or whatever the case may be? Uh, It will be up to somebody to make that complaint, uh, the type of complaint that you were talking about, uh, that a a religious person might go to the bother of making. Uh, Why is it that you would have to request to have uh, these symbols removed? Why should it not be par for the course that state-funded hospitals show no preference towards any religion or faith?
2: I, I think it should be that, and I, I think that the idea that people are, would be asking, them, it seems to come from media reports rather than the report itself. The report itself says that everybody should be tra- treated equally, and, and the concept of everybody being treated equally would imply that it would be neutral, and that people would ask for whatever they want, whether they be, want, want religious or non-religious uh, uh, symbols. Now, it, it does it does also, it, like, it's wider than symbols, that's what the issue that the media are picking up on, but it's wider than symbols. It also talks about ethos mission statement um equal provision of services like it, it addresses the issue that the catholic church last year issued a health care directive saying that abortions shouldn't be provided in catholic hospitals and we're now in a situation where that will come into play where the where abortion is now legal and should, and, and should be provided in state-funded hospitals so the report is much wider than just the symbols
5: Oh, far wider, and uh, abortion—a uh, 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 much of the focus of this—and uh, how religious orders and the, the ethos of uh, the organisations uh, that are involved in providing health services may impact on health services being provided to patients.
2: Yeah, it's—I uh, mean, look, as, as an as an example, my my wife died a few years ago, and she went into hospital as part of it, she had a a heart attack as part of her illness, and when she went into hospital, she was non-religious. And she was immediately faced not only with religious symbols, but with a chaplain coming to her asking her, uh, did she want communion? Now, Now, that seems normal to most people. Most people would say, well, that's a well-intentioned person, and he was a well-intentioned person. He wasn't trying in any way to be offensive. But but hypothetically, if a religious person went into hospital and was in that vulnerable situation and somebody came up to them to say, look, I just want to reassure you that there's no hell after you die because there's no God, people would immediately realise that that's that's inappropriate. You shouldn't be approaching people, telling them things contrary to their philosophical or religious convictions at a time that they're vulnerable in hospital. So there's a lot of things like that, that, that that seem normal to people because they're part of the status quo, but in fact are very disrespectful to to people's, you know, deeply held convictions.
5: All right. And uh, the 12 voluntary hospitals in the country receive €1.34 billion in state funding uh, and provide uh, 26% of publicly funded inpatient beds. Uh, We leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Michael Nugent. The chairperson of Atheist Ireland. Now let's go back uh, briefly to some more comments. Uh, Marie, you've a, a couple more there. I have
11: indeed. From Thomas in Dundalk, Well done to the naval service on protecting Irish waters. Never mind the crying politicians. Another: Is there any laws in place that allows English/Irish boats to fish in English waters?
5: Mm, it- well, I mean, we're talking about uh, a six-mile zone on both sides of the border here, if you like. Uh, and uh, whilst Irish boats can go north north, northern boats cannot or British boats cannot go south.
11: Was the Navy supposed to take down their guns, says John and Michael, did you see that cop car that's out guarding those two little boats? Mm-hmm. Would that patrol car not be better in Drogheda where gangs are trying to kill each other? Mm-hmm. Northern Ireland trawlers arrested cannot be serious. What clowns authorise such a stupid act at this sensitive time, Tony and uh,
5: The Supreme Court, I think, uh, is the answer in essence to that.
11: <laughs> From column, here we go again. LMFM's love affair with Jim Wells. A self-professional Arch enemy of the Irish Republic. Please, please give us all a good long rest from Jim Wells and his negativity.
5: Alright, uh, so do we ignore what's happening uh, within uh, uh, Eyeshot eye uh, as such? from and dog mm-hmm.
11: listener will you give those two unionists a box of tissues to stop them crying mm-hmm. another listener it was a six meter rib that went to the boats the ship was three miles away I witnessed the whole thing
5: oh very good yeah mm-hmm. and I
11: didn't mm-hmm. even know what a rib boat mm. was so I had to look it up it's an inflatable mm-hmm. boat for those yeah. who are listening mm-hmm. in that would be the same as me and don't mm. really know no
5: absolutely but yes. I mean obviously uh, the uh, Navy were there and uh, the big boat that they're talking about with the big guns uh, yes. was there as well yeah just
11: go Oh, and then quickly to the topic we discussed yesterday regarding the proposals to put calories on the menus in restaurants. Paddy says it's totally impossible for restaurants to be able to achieve this. Stupid beyond words. If they make a mistake and put down five thousand calories in, or five, or instead of or mm. seven thousand, say for example, mm, the mm, customer mm, could go straight to a solicitor because they were being given or fed wrong actually, information. Ah, she not have
5: much of a, a case <laughs> if yes, uh, a few calories more than you thought was the case in one meal. Uh, it's not going to make uh, 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 that much of a, a difference. I don't think you'd uh, have much of a, a legal footing. Uh, and I don't believe it, it would be that complicated.
11: Fine. Can I find okay, a word to quickly, Jerry yep, on that yep, topic? Yep, for yep. God's sake, can people not take responsibility for what they eat? Eat less. Put down your fork or spoon. Getting fit, losing weight starts by putting your chair back from the table.
5: OK, well, I think some of us need some help some of the time. But thank you indeed uh, for making comment. If you did, if you didn't, and you would like to add to what's being said... We'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael,
8: Michael Reed on LMFM. on LMFM.
5: Now, maybe uh, the story about uh, the trawlers is a story about uh, things uh, to come following Brexit and some of uh, the changes uh, that will occur and uh, the type of uh, thing that happened on Wednesday in Dundalk. Uh, happening uh, again and uh, things being seized and impounded in Carlingford, court cases uh, with people from the north in Drogheda and that type of uh, thing and soldiers perhaps on both sides of the border or God knows what and perhaps God knows what is uh, the most important and realistic thing about all of it because nobody really knows what's going to happen and the level of uncertainty is palpable. So palpable, in fact, uh, that uh, Marie Kearns went to the border, to Carlingford and spoke to local business people to find out how they feel about what's coming down the line.
11: Whether the UK leaves the EU in four weeks' time is still very much up in the air. Theresa May, in recent days, for the first time acknowledged that a delay could be on the cards, but for businesses in Carlingford and Green Ore it's little comfort because they don't really know what they are planning for it's still a very worrying and uncertain time we spoke to some of them Brona Macken, Business Development Manager of Carlingford Ferries says it's very hard to plan when you don't know what the final outcome is going to be will it be a deal, no deal or a delay here's what she has to
13: say I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen now at the end of March. If we did, we could possibly plan better for whichever outcome we may have. But at the moment, it's up in the air. We don't exactly know what's going to happen. A hard border would be our biggest worry. I mean, nobody wants to see that. The fact that there could be infrastructure in place on the roads, on the lock here, that really is a worry to everybody involved. It would be a huge worry for us as a business, a huge worry for our commuters, and a huge worry for the hundreds... thousands of tourists who come to see us every weekend and throughout the summer time as a business we have to think of all the outcomes what we would like to see is that if there is going to be some sort of passport control that we would be able to know in advance so as we could make the crossing as easy as possible for our passengers Uh, during the summer months we would have a lot of international visitors here to this area because of the existence of the ferry who may already, you know, they'd have their passports with them but for all our local visitors, for our commuters for people from the other end of Ireland they don't want to be carrying passports and we would hope to put some sort of a system in place to make the crossing as easy as possible for anybody who travels with us.
11: Carlingford Ferries operate sailings Throughout each day from Green Ore to Greencastle, but it's not just tourists who avail of the service.
13: Absolutely not. I mean, we have a strong commuter market here that cross the lock every day from South Down to travel to work in Dublin. We have a farming community who rely on us to uh, perform their activities on the Cooley Peninsula. A lot of the shellfish farmers use us daily. That's just to mention a few. I mean, we have a strong commuter market. People in particular seem to use us on the way home in the evening evenings simply because really? of yeah because of the bottleneck that exists in Uri at certain times. So you are cutting out maybe 45-50 minutes or more at certain times of the day, uh, especially in the evening times. And our ferries from half four on are very, very busy. So we would worry that so, you know there, the, the travel is seamless at the moment. You you come here, you roll on, you roll off and your journey is shortened. With the introduction of a hard border, will that be affected? Of course it will, but we would like to put measures in place to keep the ease of travel as it is now for our commuters.
11: According to Richard Brennan of Visit Carlingford, the not knowing is putting additional pressure on businesses.
13: We don't
14: know if it's going to be a hard border or it's going to be delayed or soft border or whatever way they're going to do it at the minute but it is very uncertain because a lot of our trade comes from the north. I would say at least 50% of the trade would come, so it's it's, uh, the perception of people, if a border does go up will they travel and um, what's going to happen with green cards just to get across the border so especially for a place like Corningford being so close to the border 10 or 15 minutes away all the businesses are worried and um, we we're only talking about it in the last tourism meeting we had last month what steps are we going to take and I saw Loud County Council and uh, a few different bodies in Dundalk sending out um, about programs that they're doing so we're going to have to probably duck into one of the two of them to see what is going to happen but as of now it's completely up in the air
11: Did you think it would get to this stage that with four weeks to go until the March twenty ninth deadline that you still wouldn't know what was going to actually happen?
14: Well, personally, I didn't. I thought it would be solved before now. Going into it, I, I thought, personally, they were crazy, but um, I thought by now they'd have something in place. Coming, like you said, four weeks before, I, I just can't get my head around it. Years ago, when there was a border, people had a perception of, no, we won't go to this area. It was changing all that, especially when the foot and mouth hit and tourism died. It took years to get for back to... The busy, vibrant place it is at the minute, so we would hate that to be affected, especially with something if like the border or soldiers or whatever might come up there. We don't know. The uncertainty is causing us a lot of a lot of issues. So we're just waiting to see now if if the impact of the end of March kicks in, what the end of the rest of the year, or even next year, is going to be like. So at the minute, we're literally up in the air, wondering what's coming.
11: Hotelier Terry McEvitt of McEvitt's Village Hotel in Carlingford worries about the implications if there is a No Deal Brexit.
14: We
15: assume that a hard Brexit will put a lot of barriers between uh, north and south, and we wouldn't like to see that. I was born in an era when there was hard border and uh, although we grew up with it and thought it was normal it was only when the restrictions were taken away and uh, there was a a more open border that we realised how limited we were previously so no, I wouldn't like to go back to an old border and I think it would inevitably end up with restrictions, not alone financially but socially and every other way. I wouldn't like to go back to that.
11: And is the not knowing preventing you from planning further down the line with the business?
15: Oh definitely definitely that, that's a major thing in the development of any business is the ability to uh, be positive in uh, your forward thinking and plan for the future. Now without certainty we uh, This is going to be very hard to do. So we're looking forward to uh, advances and improvements in the next few weeks.
11: Matthew Turnbull and his wife Andrea own Crystal Antiques in Carlingford and they fear that their business will be affected if the worst case scenario happens and the UK crashes out of the EU with no deal.
16: It's hard to tell until we actually see what's happening. Until they've actually left or haven't left, it's hard to know if they leave. It could be a problem. We have many people that come into me every week from Northern Ireland and from England. And if we haven't got those, it could be a serious issue.
3: We don't know um, as of yet how things are going to be implemented, if anything at all. As well as that, then we would uh, do a lot of our buy-in in in the North and then in England as well. So at the moment, like Matthew, it would be all right because he has a British passport, but it's if the customs are are set up again and things like that, it's going to be basically a nuisance, you know. The moment now, um, Newry and Warren Point and then with the Carlingford Ferry as well, there's a lot of Visitors to Carningford, especially on weekends and bank holidays and, and different holidays, you know, with children and things like that, because it's a picturesque village that families love to come to. We would get a lot of visitors in here from the north, you know, and yes. um, that because it's only five, ten minutes down the road. It's handy and it's a lovely place to come. I really do think it's going to affect the tourism industry here as well. There will be a knock-on effect because as well as that, if we can't buy as uh, regular as as what we can do at the moment, obviously our stock is going to run low. We're not going to have the same choice and the, sa- yeah, the, the same... <laughs>
16: Quality, the same quality, quality of you know. items for
3: people, and that's what we are about. We're about quality items, but affordable items as well. Not um, overpriced for anything. We're, we're not in this to become millionaires, mm-hmm. but it's it's um, it's a, a lifestyle that we absolutely love and we enjoy. And it's the meeting the people as well and hearing their stories. And and just this week we had people in from Australia and they were with us for two hours having a conversation about how lovely Carlingford was, and you know, and that they hoped to come back and bring their families and things. Things like that. So it it will definitely have a knock-on effect. Definitely.
11: And the worry is that if there's a hard border, as you say, you're only trying to make a living, Mm -hmm. but that living could be taken away from you.
3: It could, yeah. And then, you know, both of us are, are... Fully invested in this in this premises and this shop now. This is this is our livelihood now. So if the hard border does come into effect and sales go down, or even the purchasing end of it is is affected, it will affect our 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 livelihood. Despite
11: the uncertainty hanging over local border businesses, Francis Taylor of Taylor Made Tours in Carlingford stresses the importance
7: of remaining positive. We just still don't know what's going to happen. And it is what it is. So, you know, you can only prepare so much, but you always do in your mind. You're always preparing for your future of your business a year or two in advance anyway. And we're very good at tourism management. Um, in, in this area in Carney, from the Cooley Peninsula. Like we've, we've faced the, the negative perception of borders all our lives here. And no, we don't want to go back to a hard border. Of course, we don't. No country would. Um, but at the same time, we, we have been there before. Things have moved on. It has evolved. And I do, you know, the, the reason for a hard border this time is very different from the reasons it was before. Yet, But we will do, like, we are preparing to help our visitors um, easy access and, and to cross the border. Easily and seamlessly as much as possible. And I'm sure the government will be helping the border areas to do that. I don't underestimate the support from the European Commission either in regards to addressing all that if that happens. Like the UK is still, you know, our closest neighbours. Northern Ireland, we live on one island and visitors don't... Recognize borders now they will this time because it is the, the the attention that has been given, but um that could be good too, like we've gone through the the foot and mouth crisis here as well when tourism came to a standstill um but then again. the the silver lining on that cloud was everybody had heard of the Cooley Peninsula. Our figures rocketed that year. Visitors wanted to come to see this area because it was shown so much on the media, how beautiful it was, and it is. And our location does not change. It is the most enviable location on this island. We are one hour from Belfast and one hour from Dublin. And the airports and the entry ports into those destinations. So that, that can't go anywhere. We're still here. We're still building our product. And we will never go back to the way it was. It will never do that that. We have a fantastic product here. we well, one of Ireland's hidden gems and we will manage our tourism uh, regardless.
5: Some of uh, the concerns and indeed uh, the resolute attitude of business owners in uh, the Carlingford area. That report from Marie Kearns.
8: Michael, Michael Reid, Reid
5: on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Friday for our review of uh, the contributions made in Leinster House this week by TDs and Senators from Counties Louth and Meath. The report is brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Here's our Parliamentary Correspondent, Ken Murray.
4: Hello again and welcome to this week's edition of the Louth Meath Oireachtas Report. We begin a round of this week with a contribution made in the Senate on Wednesday. The shooting of a man in Drogheda on Tuesday was raised by Labour Senator Jed Nash. He told the House that the Taoiseach, who is expected to visit Drogheda later today, shouldn't bother coming to town unless he has good news on extra Garda resources for the area. People's lives are at stake here and it's only a matter of time before somebody is killed.
17: And my fear is that... The first person that will be killed will be an innocent bystander, not connected to any activity whatsoever in Drada. That's my fear. We need to have an urgent debate in this House and see the Minister for Justice make a commitment to the people of Drogheda that the police force in our town will be properly resourced, not just the police. Uh, the violent criminal feud, but to do normal policing work as we are entitled to expect. And the, the guards who are in draw at the moment require the kind of support that I think every member of Garda Síochána in this country is entitled to expect. I'll conclude with this if I can, go here. This is an urgent matter. I understand that the Taoiseach is... Uh, scheduled to visit Drogheda on Friday. And my message to the Taoiseach is this. Do not come to Drogheda if you don't have additional Garda resources to provide uh, to the senior Garda management in this town. Otherwise, it can only be dismissed as a mere PR stunt, the same type of PR stunt that was undertaken by the Minister for Justice last
4: December. The Oireachtas Petitions Committee met a delegation from Drogheda on Wednesday to address a call for an upgrade of the town to city status. Fine TD for Louth and the East Meath, Fergus O'Dowd, told the committee that it does not make sense that other parts of the country which have smaller populations have dedicated local authorities, while Drogheda, the biggest town in Ireland, does not.
16: The people of the greater Drogheda area, they have no control over their destiny. They have no council locally. All of the administration is based in Dundalk. This is a town that is bigger than the administrative counties of Longford or Leitrim. It's, you know, it's absolutely unacceptable that it wouldn't be and have, be a city and have its own city manager. When Galway reached a population of about 38,000, they then deemed it to be a city. And what happened then was that the county manager of Galway became the city manager for Galway and the county manager for Galway. So they, they held both positions until they retired and then the jobs were advertised separately. I think as part of the process that the present county manager should be made a county manager of the city of Drogheda and that when she ceases to hold that office that a county manager for the city of Drogheda will be appointed.
4: The all discussed legislation during the week that will prepare the state for Brexit if the UK Parliament rejects the deal on offer with the EU in the coming weeks and a faulty day for me, the East Thomas Byrne told the House on Wednesday that huge problems are looming if the British and Irish governments don't address education programmes that benefit citizens from both countries.
18: Well, what I think the Minister and the Government should do, and if they can't do it tell us why, we should give a unilateral declaration that UK and Irish students living in the north of Ireland and living in, 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 in Great Britain would be entitled to attend university here on the same basis that they always have been as EU students uh, regardless of any reciprocity and regardless of what, whatever deal uh, uh, in, in relation to Brexit happens. It is the case that students, maybe in fifth year, the equivalent of fifth year, or indeed in sixth year, proposing to take a gap year uh, this year, would be considering coming to university in this country. The same, of course, goes for those who may be intending to travel to the north or to Great Britain, but that's not something the Irish doll can deal with. Uh, but what's the position and what, what, what information can we give them? Because for all the talk of a common travel area, for all the talk of a hard border... It is actually the case that a hard border is currently in place if you're a student thinking of coming here from September 2020. That hard border is already here.
4: During the same debate, Social Protection Minister and Fine Gael TD for Meath East, Regina Doherty, told the Dáil that the state will do all it can to ensure that reciprocal welfare payments between the UK and Ireland continue as they are.
8: There are approximately
11: 132,000 people in receipt of a UK state pension living in this country. And approximately 1,000 customers receiving child benefit payment from the UK for children residing in Ireland. There are 28,760 people residing in the UK who are in receipt of a state pension contributory from Ireland. 840 people residing in the UK are in receipt of a full rate child benefit payment from my department. And these payments are in respect of 1,830 children, 95% of whom reside in Northern Ireland. A further 920 people residing in the UK are in receipt of child benefit supplement payments from my department in respect of 2,010 children, 97% of whom reside in Northern Ireland. And we want to ensure the continuation of these payments and that's what we're doing with this legislation.
4: Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick told the Dáil on Thursday that post-Brexit it is of the utmost importance that freedom of movement between the UK and Ireland is retained.
8: There was a commitment by all parties... To the continuation of the common travel area and associate rights, and it is very important this is held. And if this is held, this will mean that across sectors, including health, there will be no change in the rights of Irish citizens, and they will be able to move freely north, south, east, and west, work, study, and access health and social benefits in the UK on the same basis as UK citizens.
4: A decision to prevent Irish Coast Guard staff from continuing to use blue lights and sirens was raised in the Dáil on Tuesday by Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster.
19: The issue of the Irish uh, Coast Guard staff and volunteers who are no longer allowed to use their blue lights and sirens because of a directive issued to them. Now, this is despite the fact that they're actually part of the blue light services that respond to emergencies and their vehicles are fitted with them. Last year, last year they actually responded to, um, conducted over 1,100 missions and saved over 400 lives. And this is, could have a very, very serious impact on their operations, they're not allowed to use high speed, so the only mechanism they have to alert other motorists of an emergency to clear the road are their blue lights. And there's no record, no record whatsoever, of any emergency Coast Guard vehicle being involved or um, causing a road traffic accident of any description.
4: The same issue was raised by Fianna 40d Declan brannock We have 950 volunteers... 43
17: units, indeed, in my own county of Louth, we have Green over Clarehead and Drogheda. I just want to quickly read out uh, what one of the volunteers has said. If we're using lights and sirens, it's for a good reason. Now, though, it appears if we are making our way to a call, we will just have to sit in traffic and pray we get there on time. The reality is that the blue light uh, for this service is available in England and it baffles me as to why it would be withdrawn here, and I think it really needs to be reviewed. Uh, these people are responding to life and death calls and, as, as, and, and volunteers, and the importance of getting to the scene on time is, is clearly important that the lights would be available and it sirens. Okay.
4: And finally, LMFM and its programming got a mention in the doll on Thursday. During a Fianna Fall motion calling for TV licence fee money to be used to help local journalism survive, Party TD for Meath West, Shane Castles, said local radio provides what social media ignores.
12: The very existence of our industry is under threat because of the attack on revenue through the advance of social media, and social media is truly welcome, but I know, having been involved in both journalism and politics, that we need a functioning, independent local media, both to inform people and also to hold our public reps to account, to cover council meetings, to cover our courts. Facebook's not going to go do that. They're not going to sit below in the courtroom or the county council chamber and just also stand the advance of that infamous phrase of fake news. Now, I'm very lucky that my local radio station in County Mead, LMFM, produces some of the best programming in the country in politics with the Michael Reid show, in the newsroom, in the sports team and in the entertainment sphere with the Jerry Kelly show. But I know if I want those shows and the future of my station to continue, then they need a fighting chance and a level playing field. So the proposal is being brought forward here by Deputy Julie this morning in respect of the Public Service Broadcasting Fund provide that platform to allow local radio to survive and invest in their newsrooms.
4: And that contribution by Fianna Faulty-Dee for Meath West, Shane Castles, concludes our Loud Me The Rock The Summary for this week so until next time this is Ken Murray for the House of the Oroctus weekly report
5: Thanks Ken and Ken Murray should have another loud me the Oireachtas report for us in around the same time on next Friday's programme the reports are brought to you by the House of the Oireachtas Michael,
8: Michael Reid on, on LMFM
5: The Motor Insurers Bureau of Ireland is uh, advising you that if you travel across uh, the border on a, a regular basis that it is now time to apply for a green card to show that you're insured to drive in the north of ireland or in some other part of the united kingdom if that is the case let's hear a little bit more about this with david fitzgerald who's the chief executive of the mibi good morning to david and thanks for joining us these are these green cards uh, that we've been hearing about uh, and you've issued approximately one million of them in advance
0: that's right michael good morning so I suppose just to explain the background. So th- this is really a contingency plan in the event of a of a no deal Brexit. At the moment, the UK are covered by the motor insurance directive, and the Irish, and indeed an EU license plate is sufficient to drive in the UK, and that's accepted as as reasonable proof by the UK police that you have the the minimum insurance in place in the event that there's a no deal Brexit. That's currently scheduled for the 29th March. We have to rely on an older system, the green card system, which covers a wider area than European Union. It covers the whole of Europe and parts of near Asia and Africa. And so what we're advising now is if motors are planning on driving in Northern Ireland or the UK you know, in the days immediately following the 29th of March, if nothing changes in the interim, and I know there's been some positive Noises from Westminster, but if all things remain the same, mm. that they should start applying for for a green card now from their insurance provider. So whoever they get the insurance from—a present be it a broker or, or, or an insurance company—they should start uh, reaching out to them next week to ensure that they they, they have a green card, uh, because that the UK government have advised that, that that's what uh, the U- the UK police forces will require.
5: Many of our As listeners it, uh, would cross the border on a, a daily basis, uh, and how long might they wait to get? One of these green cards if they do apply
0: well if they start applying now our members are confident that they'll be able to get a green card to anybody who's who requires one We've uh, we've distributed one million blank green cards to our to our members and their brokers, hmm. as well as electronic templates to enable them to be produced electronically. So a green card, just you know, people haven't seen one. It. It's a, it's a it's a it's a green piece of paper that has you know basic insurance information on it, and it, it it's specific to the vehicle rather than the driver. So if you have more than one vehicle, you require a green card for each for each uh, each car. But if you if you multiple drivers on a on a car. You know, one one green card would be sufficient. My advice would be to your listeners who are driving on, on, across the board on a, on a regular basis, if they don't already have a green card, to reach out to their insurance provider, pop it in the glove box. Hopefully, it won't be required. Mm. But it, it, you know, to avoid any risk of of uh, you know a, an Irish motorist with Valley's insurance being erroneously treated as an uninsured driver by the UK police, and um, you know they, they, they do uninsured driving very seriously. They're very quick to seize the vehicle and and. You know, it would really ruin somebody's day in terms of having to having to deal with the, the fallout of that, the, the, the safer course of action. Well, I'm sure there's some green card.
5: fishermen from Kilkeel who testified to that this morning. Sure, right. sure. <laughs> but uh, just explain to me what uh, an electronic application template is. Is that the equivalent of a green card, but on your phone?
0: No, 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 it's not. No, the, 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 this is just the facility for for the members if they if they want to uh, rather than use manual stationery. You know, we've given them a Microsoft Word template to, to facilitate the the production of the green cards in as efficient way as possible. There is a possibility to email a, a PDF mm. to 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 a to a driver, but it's very important um, that it's printed on on green paper or with a green a background. If it's to be accepted, it, these rules oh, really? are, mm-hmm. are, are governed by the UN. So, it, it, you know, black and, a black and white green card, <laughs> the clues in the name, unfortunately, yeah. is mm. not acceptable, nor is, a, it, nor is a copy on the phone. Right. You need a physical bit of paper.
5: OK, uh, and if you have one but have left it at home, I presume you face uh, the same consequence, uh, the same potential penalty, uh, the same prospect of having your car impounded.
0: A- absolutely. Really, the safest thing to do would be to, as I say, would be to pop it in the glove box or, or you know somewhere you'd know where where you'd be able to find it in the vehicle, um, because it is the green card is specific to the vehicle, so it really does make sense to actually leave it in the vehicle as soon as you, you obtain it. In the same way. You know, if you were putting an in insurance cert on, on, you know, uh, you, you you you'd yeah. put the disc in there, uh, you'd slip it in. It doesn't need to be displayed now. You just need to have it available in the events um, that there was a there was a check by the by the UK police. We just we're just yeah. not sure how that's going to pan out. It's it's uh, the UK government have have uh, indicated they're required, but it, it, you know everybody's hoping there'll be a deal. Yeah. So that you know they haven't announced any. Precise details as you know how they've been enforced, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, well, I mean, uh, random checks.
5: Uh, I, I suppose realistically, uh, at worst, we're expecting a, a delay. Uh, but this is terribly real, isn't it? I, I mean, a, a lot of people will tell you that their local shop is on the other side of the border.
0: It's absolutely it's, it's you know everybody's really hoping for a deal and a, and a, and a sensible uh, and a sensible outcome and you're quite right there's every possibility that there might be a delay if if you know the votes on the 12th and 13th mm-hmm. go a certain way there could be a, a request for delay on the 14th and uh, you know what i would say is if you know if there is a delay then these dates get pushed out so um uh, you know, pe- people won't require a green card unless there is the, there, there is a no deal Brexit. If if there is a deal or an extension, you know, they'll both lead to transition periods, and and so this will be pushed out for people planning to travel to the UK later in the year. That you know, they don't need to take action now. If if someone you know had no, you know wasn't planning to travel to Northern Ireland, but say had planned a trip to to England or Scotland later on in the year in the summer, one month beforehand would be would be plenty of time to request that, so that you know the green card would be would be up to date and that would give plenty of time for for the insurance company to mm. to get the motorist in good time.
5: Was this always the situation, I mean, prior to the establishment of the European Union or membership of the EEC, what did we do 50 years ago?
0: I'm not 100% <laughs> okay. sure, if I'm <laughs> honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just know that, that, that mm. this is what's required now. This is the recommended advice from the uh, from from the u k government the european commission, and the irish government so this this is the this is our fallback system it, we, we hope it won't be required and, and uh, but you know the, 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 this is our this is our contingency plan to, to to keep people driving we've We've been able to do some bilateral things um with our with our equivalent body the motor insurance bureau in the u k so to to ensure that we continue to pay claims and uh you know that that the insurance will remain valid if you're insured to to, to drive in, mm. in in the u k right now that will remain in, in, in place. This is really around um, ensuring that you, you, you can prove to, to uh, UK law enforcement authorities that you, you, know, you have the, uh, the minimum insurance that's required to drive in that jurisdiction after, after a, a no-deal Brexit. Uh,
5: and will it become harder to settle claims? Uh, will it be more complicated to indemnify somebody who travels across uh, the border in either direction for that matter, depending on uh, which company is looking at no, no, an application no, no, not, for not, a premium? Not
0: especially. So the, Could it lead to the, the, increased the, the, costs, though? well I, I suppose there there'll be there'll be, there'll be a, a, you know maybe some increased administration of course the production of green cars but i I don't think it should be especially significant it's certainly not welcome you know to to go from a, from an electronic system back to a to a, a paper based system it's not the way you know the the insurance industry and indeed you know all industries are trying to go so I suppose that's a little bit unwelcome but I, I, the, the the main change um under the the kind of the laws of the motor insurance directives and we've We've been working very closely with our counterparts in the UK to try and, you know, keep the the, the protections for for accident victims as, as robust as they are now. But there is the ability under you know, the Motor Insurance Directive to uh, take it. If, if you were involved in an accident in the UK, you can you can take that claim back to, to Ireland and pursue it in in, in our jurisdiction, mm. and vice versa. That won't be possible you know, if there's a no-deal Brexit because the UK government had indicated they're going to repeal that part of the, you know, the motor insurance directive, yeah, regulations, you know, they, they, they won't be replacing it. So if, if somebody had an accident in the UK, they would need to pursue it through the UK legal system and, and vice versa. If a UK person had an accident here, they will need to pursue it through our our system, so it does add, you know, it, it does mm. add a, a slight extra layer of complexity. But mm. w- we're certainly going to do our very best, and our, our members who are the same to. To ensure that uh, people, you know, have, have the same level of protection, and there's no there's no additional uh, red tape for them in, in mm-hmm. pursuing their claims within within that limitation.
5: Sure thing. There. I mean, uh, at the same time, it's one thing for people in the industry; it's uh, different uh, for the rest of us. And when we have to go through these processes, uh, they're very daunting. Apart from complicated, and that's a, another layer of complexity on top of it, uh, which I'm sure will be as unwelcome as almost everything you've said. This morning, David, uh, we straddled the border here in LMFM uh, and uh, whilst we'll need green cards to go from the south to the north, what way does it uh, apply to people who might be listening to us on the north of the border now?
0: It, it, it's, it's the exact same system. So there, there, there's a si- very similar body to ourselves called the, Mo- the Motor Insurance Bureau based in the uk and they're working with their uk insurance providers to to get green cards out to people based all over the uk that have a requirement so the i i, I would reiterate the same call to to your northern ireland based listeners to contact their insurance providers and and to seek a green card on on, on the same basis that i'm advising the uh, your listeners in the republic mm. and, and it, so it, it's it's really so now is the time to reach out to your insurance provider and mm-hmm. if
5: uh, and what do you do ring
0: you, you you can ring, or a lot of them have good information on their website. So yep. you, you you could log on, uh, you, you know, and they'll have uh, guidance there as to in, in many cases in terms of how to, how to get them. Some of them I know have have uh, kind of you know uh, an online form to to, to kick it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we have about forty members, you know, all, all providing motor insurance in Ireland. So mm-hmm. uh, it, I it, it, it does differ. Um, you know, some members will have, may have already been in touch with your listeners. You know, mm-hmm. they may have, they may have reached out to them to, you know, sure. via social media and so forth. So, but, but, it, you know, if and that log on to the website or, mm-hmm. or, or, or give them a call, i um, you know, our, our members are, are working hard in the background, uh, you know, to, to, to get ready for this.
5: And, uh, uh, apply for uh, the green card now if you're regularly uh, crossing the, the border, or if you're planning to do so at some stage in the future. A month before that time is the advice. Exactly. All right, exactly. Thanks okay, Mark. thank you very much indeed. David Fitzgerald is uh, the chief executive of uh, the MIBI, the Motor Insurers Bureau of Ireland, and brings our program to its conclusion today. Indeed, uh, for this week, our time has run out on us. A podcast will be available of today's program on our website, lmfm.ie. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the control term. I'm Michael, hope you have a lovely weekend, and God willing, we'll see you for our next program on Monday morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye
4: bye. The Michael Reid Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.